0: Now, I want to give you the title of my sermon today before we jump into the Word of God and before I tell you a little bit about where we're going, uh, because this is going to impact everything about this journey we're about to go on. The title of my sermon today is called The Cross on Palm Sunday. The Cross on Palm Sunday. I mentioned a few minutes ago that today is Palm Sunday, and we were singing a song called Hosanna, where we were remembering the moment where Jesus entered into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It's the beginning of Holy Week, where Christians all over the world are remembering that Jesus entered in a triumphant way to the capital city of Israel and was welcomed with people waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna. And I just want you to think in your mind right now, no matter how long you've been in church, or no matter how much you think the people in the room that you're in expect you to be a Bible expert, I just want to ask you simply do you know what Palm Sunday is all about? Like beyond that story, do you know what God was trying to communicate when Jesus entered into Jerusalem to those shouts? Of victory 2,000 years ago, and it's okay if you don't, but every year for me on Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is the reminder for me that the cross has two different Sundays on either side. One of them being Easter Sunday that we're going to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus, and it's the reason why the cross is the ultimate symbol of victory for us as believers, but the other Sunday is Palm Sunday. And it has a dramatically different lens that we see the cross through because on the front end, no one saw what Jesus was about to do coming. And I mean no one with the exception of Jesus himself. And when we continue in the book of Colossians and hear Paul's description of the cross, we're going to see an amazing description of the victory we've been invited to in Jesus. But I want to read this passage with Palm Sunday in view and talk about the cross on Palm Sunday. Now we've been living in Colossians and loving this unique letter in the New Testament. If you don't know anything about the Bible, a large portion of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written in letter form because he started all of these churches in the ancient Greco-Roman world. And most of the time when he sat down to write a letter, he was sitting down to solve a problem because these churches were a little bit crazy. Uh, They were brand new to this whole following Jesus thing because they didn't have 2,000 years of history. behind them. And they were going, okay, we got to figure out these issues. And we got this issue with this family in our church. And this one needs financial support. And this one needs to just learn the basics of what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. So most of the time, when Paul writes a letter to a church, he's writing to address a problem and or fix a problem. But Colossians is different. Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he didn't start and that he'd never visited but it was a church that he simply had an opportunity to encourage because he was imprisoned in Rome, and one of his friends who did start the church at Colossae was visiting him, and Paul sits down to write them some encouragement and to send them some warnings and make sure that their lives are dead set on the supremacy of Jesus. This is why I love Colossians, because Paul gets to go off about what he is the most passionate about, which is listening lifting up the name of Jesus. And when you read the descriptions of Jesus in Colossians, I think it's easy for us to study it as like a theological book, but I want to encourage you, we're not just learning about Jesus in the pages of scripture so that we know more about him. We're reading about Jesus in Colossians because we want to know him and treasure him to be a Christian is about more than just knowing what Jesus did or even believing in what Jesus did. To be a Christian is to treasure Jesus as the all-satisfying treasure of your heart. So let's not open the Word of God today just to memorize some facts or learn some cool things about Palm Sunday. Let's open the Word of God believing that when we do, we get brought into intimacy with Jesus himself, which is the reason why we exist. Listen, I miss you guys, and, and, and I'm getting a little bit rested from just preaching once every week in front of a camera. And so once again, need your feedback from your living room. If you hear something that resonates with you, go ahead and shout amen. Go ahead and say right on. Go ahead and agree. But more than anything, if you have your Bible in this moment, could you do me a favor and hold it up? Hold it up wherever you are. Bible's in the air all over the place. I love it. Some of you have been coming to our church for years and you're still fighting the Bible drill, could you just use COVID-19 as your opportunity to just give in and just start holding up your Bible? No, okay, you're that stubborn? Okay, Uh, I'm just kidding because I know some of you who still don't do it and the reasons why you don't do it, it's fine, it's fine. You can look at your phone, it's fine. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 9. And Before I read it, as you're turning there, I just want to say a huge Welcome to our ever-growing audience where we are learning more and more about where our people are tuning in from. One of the things that's so cool about being a church in a college town that I think we took for granted was how many families were connected to college students extended far away from Auburn, Alabama. We've seen families tuning in in places that we never thought we were going to See people tuning in. I want to say hello to the families in Texas who are tuning in. You're in Texas, and and I know that it's tough because you have so many options for what you could do with your time, but you have to stay at home right now. We love you, Texas. We love you, Southern California. Have seen the videos of you guys tuning in. I don't think you tune in at the time that we all tune in because it's a little early, and you should be getting a little more sleep. But we see you. We've seen your stories. We've seen you, Syracuse, New York. Uh, we've seen you, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. It is crazy. Every single week uh, when our team gets together to think about how many people are tuning into these moments. And we want you to know you are family to us. This is not just us doing church on video. This is us inviting our family together around the word of God to lift up the name of Jesus. We love you and we miss being together. Colossians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 9. If you're there, say I'm there. Come on. Here's what it says. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. This is what we talked about last week. This is where Paul connects the supremacy of Jesus to the sufficiency of Jesus. And what that means is, Paul says, Jesus is the head over every power and and authority. He's the fullness of the deity in bodily form. What does that mean? That means Jesus is fully God, fully man. And his name is above every name. But what that means for you and me in that that little section that we talked about last week. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. It's not enough to just say that Jesus is greater, especially in the season that we're in. You also have to add to that that Jesus is enough. And when stuff doesn't make sense, Jesus is enough. And when you feel like you need an explanation, Jesus is enough. And when you feel like there's a lot more to do and there's just so much open-ended, Jesus is enough. We'll pick up in verse 11. Here's what Paul says. In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. We'll talk about that in a second. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul says, I want you to know that what Jesus did to fill you internally is something spiritual. And Paul equates it with something called circumcision. Now, if you're sitting with young kids right now and they're asking questions like, what does that mean? Good luck. I'm glad that we're in the living room right now and not in church. And I don't have to try to explain it, but you can explain it to them. What Paul is saying, though, is he's taking the Old Testament symbol circumcision, which is the symbol for the people of God on planet Earth. And he is saying, listen. When Jesus came into your life, there's a part of you that went away. The old you, Paul says, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Talking about a spiritual removal of an old person, but that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. What Paul's doing right there is he's kind of mixing metaphors, but he mentions baptism and he says, here's what happened to you. You were joined with the journey of Jesus on Easter weekend. You died, you were buried and you were raised again. That's what baptism means. So baptism is not simply a a physical sign that we celebrate together as a church. Baptism is the spiritual completion of being united with Jesus. That just as Jesus died, the old me died. Just as Jesus was buried, the old me is going to stay buried. And just as Jesus was raised to new life, so you and I, when we come to faith and trust in Jesus, get a brand new beginning. But Paul's not done. This is the most beautiful part of chapter 2, in my opinion. Look at this, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow. Paul says, when you were Dead in your flesh and sins, God made you alive in Christ. What's happening in this moment is Paul is giving a summary of what it means to be united with Christ. And he is saying, your journey, if you're a Christian, your journey has two parts to it. Dead, alive. Now, A lot of you who may have grown up in the Bible Belt or grown up in church and heard rumors about what it means to follow Jesus need to correct your thinking here a little bit. What it means to be a Christian is to be brought from death to life. So Jesus did not come down from heaven to extend a set of rules and tell us how to live a moral life simply. Jesus did not come down from heaven to get us to come to church once a week. He did not come down from heaven to invite us into a brand new way of thinking about our lives. Jesus came down from heaven not to make bad people good or disobedient people obedient. Jesus came down from heaven to make dead people alive. And that is the hope that our world needs more than ever right now, as death is rampant and so visible across our world. You need to know the message of Jesus, as plain and simple as possible, is that there is hope beyond the grave. There is hope for human beings who are destined to death because of sin. Why do human beings die? Why does breath expire? Simple answer sin. Death is not a part of life, it's the opposite. The reason why we are destined to die is because the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our rebellion against God, simply by being a fallen human nature, living in that, the penalty is we die. But Jesus came down to breathe life into us once again. How did he do it on a cross? He says... He made a public spectacle of the powers and authorities. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was making a public show so that any voice of accusation against you for your sin and shame would have to shut his or her mouth. Your father looks at you and sees you perfect in his sight because Jesus presented your sin in broad daylight, bleeding out naked on a cross. That's the gospel. And that's beautiful. But that's the cross on Easter Sunday. And we're coming up on Easter. And we always need to remember that. I want to talk about the cross on Palm Sunday. And it's fitting that this would happen this way. You know, our original plan for this part of Colossians was simply to read these verses on Sunday, April 5th, and then have a baptism service. It's all about baptism. So we thought the coolest way to illustrate what Jesus did in this moment was for 30-something, 40-something people to stand up on our stage at 323 Airport Road and go, Jesus has won my heart and life. I've been brought from death to life. And they were gonna tell their stories. You know what? They still are going to tell their stories. And God's going to do something great when we can gather again. And we cannot wait for that gathering. If you're watching this right now, And you're like, well, I wasn't even going to be baptized at that gathering, but I'm going to be baptized at the next gathering that you guys have like that. Come on. Baptism is the symbol of that completed work of Jesus. It doesn't finish anything. It's just the symbol that Jesus has done that in your life. And if you want to do that, whenever we can get back together, I promise you we're going to do that. But this week I was reading this passage and I was like, okay, well, the plan was, I was going to read that and explain it for like five minutes and and then we were going to dunk people and sing songs. And those are our favorite Sundays in the life of our church, by the way. If you get time this week, I'm not going to say if you get time. You have time. Everybody's got time. Go on our YouTube page and watch some of our baptism videos from moments in the past. Those are our favorite Sundays. That's why the church exists. It's amazing. But I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, this is so fitting that we had a plan for what we wanted to do on Palm Sunday. Because having a plan on Palm Sunday, generally, historically speaking, is a bad idea. When I asked you earlier, what do you think Palm Sunday means? Most of you simply thought of reiterating what I had already said about Hosanna and palm branches. Maybe when you grew up in church, you, you, you practiced by waving the palm branches. Maybe you got to wear one of those shepherd things that they tie around you, and you were like, no, I'm the only one who's scarred from growing up Southern Baptist. Okay. And so, and, and so you would shout Hosanna and wave it. But no, what does it really mean? Do you, do you want to know what Palm Sunday marks every year on the Christian calendar? It marks the fact that God is running a different agenda than your plan for what he is up to. It's the yearly reminder that God is doing something totally unexpected. And the reason why I say that is because if you pay attention to the narrative in the Gospels of how this happens, the reason why that crowd was shouting victory chants at Jesus had nothing to do with Jesus' plan to forgive the sinful humanity that he forgave on the cross. And it had everything to do with their plan to get out of the suffering that they were in. If you don't believe me, if you're in Colossians chapter 2, go backward in your Bible to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Now, you might want to keep just just your thumb over in Colossians 2 because we're going to come back to it. But I want to go to John chapter 12 in verse 12. And I want to show you the scene on the original Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago as we prepare for Holy Week. And what I want to do is I want you to see the cross, not just from Easter Sunday like we just talked about, but I want you to see it from this moment. John chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what it says. Look at this moment. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and the people are shouting, Hosanna. What does that mean? It means save us now. It's a military cry for a leader to come and do something. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Those are verses. If you're in your physical Bible right now, look at the footnotes in your Bible. Those are verses from the Old Testament. What they are saying to Jesus out loud is we believe you are the Messiah. And he confirms it. He gets, he gets on a donkey. That's a prophecy from Zechariah that the Messiah would come not riding on a horse, but riding on a donkey, that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem in humility. Jesus is literally showing all of the signs that he's the Messiah. And for years, he's been showing signs because he's been doing miracles, He's been raising dead people. In fact, in John chapter 11, that's one chapter before this moment, he raises Lazarus. And that's really what pushed the Jewish people over the top to go, okay, even if we didn't agree with everything you were teaching, even if we didn't understand you, you can raise dead people? You must be the Messiah. He'd healed lepers. He'd given sight to the blind. He had demonstrated repeatedly that there was supernatural power on the inside of him to bring the kingdom of God to earth. They're agreeing. They're saying you're the Messiah. But what was their version of the Messiah? Follow Israel's history all the way back to when they were in slavery in Egypt. Israel's version of a Messiah was someone who delivered them from captivity and oppression, just like Moses did when they left Egypt and went into the promised land. Well, here's what happened. Hundreds of years before Jesus, there was this group of people called the Babylonians who conquered Israel. And they conquered Israel, not because God wanted them to, but because Israel had chosen to live in sin for so long that God could tolerate it no more. And so he let them be overcome and fall into slavery. Well, here's the thing. All these different empires started taking over other empires, and Israel was subjected to slavery because of that. So Babylon was conquered by Persia. Persia was conquered by Assyria. Assyria was conquered by Greece, Alexander the Great. And then the Greeks were conquered by the Romans. All of this is happening historically with Israel as a footnote. They're little slaves. They're really the people of God, but they're living below their identity. It's another sermon for another day. But they're living as slaves, and they're dreaming about the day that this promised Messiah is going to come and deliver them. And now their hopes are up, their expectations are up, because they're going, Jesus of Nazareth is that. Dude! I just said that. He is that guy! He's doing all of these things. This is amazing. So he's riding into Jerusalem and the palm branches are out. They're going, you're our leader. Save us. We're quoting things that were said about the Messiah, about you. And then a few days later, the cross. The cross was the Roman symbol that basically told the people they ruled over We own you. Look at the cross through Palm Sunday. If these people knew, hey, this guy that you think is going to deliver you from Rome and take you out of captivity and give you the freedom that you've longed for, he dies on the same cross that has been killing your people. Guys, crosses, I know we've romanticized them, but they weren't that rare 2,000 years ago. They were pretty common. Common way for Rome to go, you are underneath our feet Jesus is going to die on one. If you told the crowd on Palm Sunday that, they would have been like, he's a failure. He's a disappointment. And I'm sure most of, if not all of them, thought that the moment he died a few days later. Now, why am I telling you about this depressing moment in Israel's history? I am telling you this because I'm here to promise you, God will continually Wreck your plans and disappoint your expectations if you decide to follow Jesus. I just said that. You need to hear it again. Now, this is so funny because... Nobody says this on the front end of becoming a Christian. I've never heard someone get up to do an invitation to receive Christ and go, Jesus died to save you from your sins. He rose from the dead. If you believe in him, you'll go to heaven forever. You get the Holy Spirit in you now. You get to live on mission. It's amazing. God is for you. Oh, yeah. Just a little disclaimer. You're following someone who has a crazy agenda that looks nothing like your plans and he's going to go down roads that you don't see coming he's going to allow you to feel pain that you did not know was on the way he's going to shift the plan just when you think you've got your mind around the new plan that he had made he is going to do things that look like not just a bad idea for you but a bad idea for him you ever had God do something in your life that you just want to sit him down and go God listen this is not just bad for me if you would do what I want you to do, it would be great for you. Some of you are doing that right now in the midst of COVID-19. You're going, God, how does this make any sense? Everybody's looking to you. You could just heal everyone with coronavirus in a moment. Provide the va- the vaccine. Provide the cure from heaven. Everybody looks to you. Everybody glorifies you. The church is alive and wo- awakened. People are coming to know you. Why would you not do it like that? But you could literally think that way about every ounce of human suffering in history we all think we have this agenda that god has to keep and i'm here to tell you on palm sunday god will he will wreck your plans and i said this and i stand by it he will disappoint your expectations now some of you want to rush to easter and go wait a minute wait a minute god's never disappointed anybody he always exceeds our expectations ultimately fair totally fair I'll read the very next verse in John chapter 12, verse 16, about Palm Sunday. You want to hear what it says? It says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Anybody ever lived in that? I didn't get it at first. I had no idea what he was doing. Now watch this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Only after. And this is the progression of so many of our stories and our relationships with God. It's like you come to a moment where Jesus does something that makes no sense for your plan. It makes no sense for your agenda. It does not line up with any of your expectations. But then the narrative always tends to be the same way. Oh, Only after there's clarity to be able to go, oh, that's what you were doing. And the disciples, after Jesus was glorified, they're able to go, oh, yeah, he entered in. And then they shouted, and they shouted those Old Testament verses. And he was seated on a donkey just like he was supposed to. But he was coming to do a victory that was so much greater than the victory that the people wanted but they wanted to save him from Rome oh my gosh it makes perfect sense now and that's great but here's the problem we're not on the other side of coronavirus we're in the middle of it and I think too many times the Christian response is God will provide an explanation with clarity in the end we just need to hold on until we get that explanation Some of that's true. Yes, ultimately in the end, we will look back on every ounce of human suffering and every moment where we've been tempted to question God and there will be an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs that suffering. I promise you that. That is coming. But I do not believe that what Jesus has in mind for you or for me is to sit there feeling paralyzed and go, well, until we get out of this, it's just not going to make sense and I can't have peace. Jesus came to give us peace in the midst of trouble. You know, a few chapters later, in John chapter 14, Jesus was able to say, do not let your hearts be troubled. In this world, you will have trouble. Every time I read that verse, I'm like, Jesus, which one is it? Do you want me to not let my heart be troubled, or am I going to face trouble? And Jesus is like, yes. I want you to have peace as you head into trouble. Now, here's the progression that most of us go through and that most of us are in the middle of in coronavirus, including me. We go through a progression where Jesus does something as we're following him. He's our good shepherd. He does something that we don't see coming. And immediately our response is to go, oh, he's doing the thing that he does again and I've got to learn to trust him. But it's just there is no way that this one makes sense. There's no way that this one lines up with his plan. So I'll wait for him to change. I'll wait for him to edit it. Maybe my prayers weren't loud enough. Maybe I didn't read enough. Maybe I'm not not living an obedient lifestyle enough. So he doesn't hear me. And we try to equate our effort with changing the agenda and the plans of God. And we go, okay, uh, this is confusing. This is so hard. And then if you're like me, you end up complaining. I'm the worst complainer in the world when it comes to my expectations being disappointed. Trust me. Ask my wife. Ask our staff at Auburn Community Church. If I have an expectation for something I have in mind, and you fall, that's short of it. I, I, I got I got problems with it, and I'm going. huh, oh, I just thought we were here, but it was it was there, and so I got I got to deal with that every time I go to a restaurant. Like I'm a good tipper because I was a server at Chili's a long time ago, and so don't you miss Chili's right now, all of you who hated on me when I was talking about Chili's? You're missing it now. So I was a server, so I always tip really well, but I always I always like get frustrated when I'm at a restaurant. And I'm like, oh man, if you only knew. Like I want to take good care of you, but come on, I had this expectation, and and, and, and I struggle here's what we do we complain and we just kind of keep our head down and then on the other side there's all that clarity on the other side it's like only after did this make total and perfect sense and then we look back and we go thank you god for doing that again but then if you're not careful if you don't change that progression you're about to do the same thing all over again i think jesus is dreaming about the day that we would follow him and not need the the after-the-narrative clarity to be willing to trust him. I think we need to edit our pursuit. I, I think we need to change up our pursuit from figuring out his plan on the front end to getting close to his person on the front end. I think Jesus wants to take us from sitting back and watching the plan unfold and going, I hope this ends okay, And just falling on our faces before him and going, I don't understand it, but I want to know you and I want to treasure you because I promise you. What Jesus has in mind for the journey he is walking you down is a lot of moments you're tempted to doubt. A lot of moments where you're going to feel like you can't put one foot in front of the other anymore. A lot of moments where you're going to be at the end of yourself. That's not an accident. That's not to torture you. That's to force you into a situation where you have to trust him. And I promise you, if you trust Jesus, don't listen to me promise you. The word of God promises you. If you trust Jesus, God is faithful. It's his nature to come through on your behalf exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than what you could ask or imagine. Okay, 2,000 years ago, what did they want on Palm Sunday? They wanted deliverance from Caesar. That was a big ask of God. We're so disappointed. We wanted Jesus to deliver us from bondage to these people who take taxes from us. They inflict physical punishment on us. They kill us. That's a big ask. And when Jesus didn't deliver, their assumption is, I guess, God's just not that good. Well, here's what Jesus saw when he saw the cross on Palm Sunday. Look at this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead... begging for deliverance from Rome, and Jesus is showing up with the cross. And while they think it's a failure and they think it's a disappointment, here's the explanation on the back end. I'm trying to make sure that you get more than freedom from a government. I'm trying to make sure that you end up with eternal freedom from hell and death. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this symbol of defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory. I'm going to hang on this cross. This is one of the most underrated verses of the New Testament because it says Jesus made a spectacle out of the authorities. You want to know what that means? That means Jesus turned what hell believed to be their victory into his way of not just, I I would say, bragging over them, but boasting in victory over hell on your behalf that was the cross that jesus is hanging on the cross and going you no longer have any right to speak a word of accusation or condemnation against those who are chosen by my father if you want to say something and if you want to point to something point here that's what jesus had in mind on the cross Wait a minute, shoes. what do you guys want on Palm Sunday? We just wanted Caesar Augustus to leave us alone. I think his way is better. I think what he has in mind is more. But here's what Jesus won't do, and this is what drives me crazy. He won't tell you that that's what he has in mind on the front end. He'll say, follow me and trust me. You're going to love this. You're invited on the journey. And it's whether or not that journey is marked by trust And open-handedness or that journey is marked by us trying to hold on and gain just a level of cognizance of what he is doing. It is the difference between those two things that I think is the difference between the the two different types of people in our church and how we're responding to coronavirus right now. I think some of us are holding on to Jesus and we know on the back end God's going to do something great. But in the meantime, we're actually gaining a level of intimacy with him that we've never had before. Some of you are getting time of devotion in the word of God and words are starting to leap off the page and you're starting to learn that your heavenly father wants to speak to you daily. And this is not something that he wants to leave in a season during coronavirus. I want everybody in our church to be thinking through some of the rhythms to their life right now that God doesn't want you to put down once this is all over, whenever this is all over. I was thinking about it this week. I was in so many prayer meetings I like, hey, we've got a prayer meeting with these people, prayer meeting with these people, prayer meeting, prayer meeting, prayer meeting. And it makes sense. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. I'm a pastor. I should be in that many prayer meetings. And I was just thinking, I was like, why is my life not like this all the time? I'm just as desperate for God on a normal Tuesday as I am in the middle of COVID-19. I probably need to continue scheduling these things because... This is where the real work gets done. I want you thinking through those moments of devotion. So there's those people, but then there's a large majority of you. And I've fallen into this in the days since this all started. There's a large majority of you who you're just kind of holding on and your tone is very fearful. And even your time with God is marked by, I don't know if I can trust you if I don't get the explanation or the end result on the front end. And I just want to invite you to a better way. He's going to tell the same story regardless. It's whether or not you're miserable and close-fisted the entire time, or you're pursuing him and learning more about him, which is the reason why you exist and you end up with the better story on the back end. That's the cross on Palm Sunday. How do we do it? I got two points. I want to be quick. I want to get you to whatever else you have to do. I guess I could just preach all day. We could just go old school and you guys could enjoy it. I want you to write these two things down. Number one is this. Connect your plan for your world to God's plan for the world. Connect your plan for your world to God's plan for the world. See, I think, I think it's good to have plans. I think it's biblical. Not necessarily that we go too far. I don't think we should boast about tomorrow because we don't know what's going to come today. But I do think it's biblical to go, okay, well, if, if the Lord wills it, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. It's good. But your plans always have to stay in humble submission to the narrative that God is writing for the entire world. This is the problem with Palm Sunday, and this is the problem in the middle of coronavirus right now, is that all of us had a story for our individual world that got totally interrupted and expectations totally unmet, and now our response has to shift from, okay, this is what I thought was going to happen in my world, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that level of disappointment, to okay, My world and my story is surrendered underneath the narrative of the story God is writing for the whole world. So if 2,000 years ago, there was somehow the capacity for the disciples to see, yes, we want deliverance from Rome. Yes, we want Jesus to be that conquering hero and Messiah that we know him to be. But what if his agenda is bigger than what I want for my story right now? I just want to ask you this. What if Jesus' agenda for worldwide revival is bigger than the trouble in your business right now? I'm not trying to not be sensitive about your business. That's a big deal. God cares about that. God wants you to pour out your heart to him. God wants to meet you there. I'm not not saying that you can't be honest with God. I'm just saying... Is your life in humble submission to go, there's a narrative that's bigger than the story I had in mind. And when you get your place into that surrender and submission, you want to know what God does? He shows you once again that he's not out to meet your expectations. He is out to exceed them. He'll do better. I promise you he'll do better. You want to know one of the ways he'll do better? He'll show you that his plan for the world is something he wants to bring your life into the inside of don't you want to live for something more than a comfort free life this side of heaven just so we make it to heaven without any scars don't you want more than that and come on most of us live in auburn alabama it's a really comfortable life living here just want to be honest with you comparative to the rest of the world this is awesome getting to be here But I believe COVID-19 is a wake-up call from heaven for us to go, you do not exist, Auburn, to just have a nice, comfortable life and make it. You exist to be a megaphone for the supremacy of Jesus for people who don't know there's hope beyond the grave. And so when you start to realize that, you start to go, oh, yeah, you know what? That sounds a little bit better than what I had in mind. And you can kind of take my plans and rip them up if you want to. You can tell God your plans. That's an old like, preacher joke. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. And, uh, but it never got any laughs, and it definitely didn't in this room. And so I don't know why I went with it. Maybe we'll edit it out. I don't know. Um, but I want you to know, it makes it easier to put your plans in humble submission to God when you trust and know his overarching plan for the world is bigger than you. I want you to remember. Remember last time we talked about remembrance? I want you to remember the times in your life God did not let you have your story. Just remember, and how that ushered you into what he was doing in the world in a way you didn't expect. I'm talking to some of you who are sitting next to your spouse, and you're sitting with kids in the living room, and the story that you wanted God to write had a different spouse in it, and now you're so glad that God did not write the story that way. Yeah, you can go ahead and wink at your spouse right now and go, and everybody can kind of look at dad and go, oh, yeah, we know about her, and aren't you glad God came through for you? Come on, he's done this again and again and again. When are we going to give him the credit he has earned from the beginning of time for being faithful? And when are we going to go, you know what, I don't know how you're going to end up writing this, but I know it's better than what I have in mind because it's your overarching plan for the world and it's giving meaning to my life. In the middle of this, you got to recall those moments where what you had in mind totally collided with what God was doing in the world and you have to get out of his way. And I even, I think about the will of God in the world as like a freight train. And it's like, he's going to get where he's going. Are you going to submit and enjoy the ride? Or are you going to get bulldozed over and carried on the side? He's going there. I want to invite us as the people of God. we got a good shepherd. Let's start to connect our agendas and our expectations to the overarching story God's writing for the world and watch him exceed them. That's number one on the cross on Palm Sunday. Connect your plan for your world to God's plan for the world. Number two, this is huge. Shift your expectation for your story to God's presence on the journey. Shift your expectation for your story to God's presence on the journey. I want you, to shift your focus from the details that got ruined to the opportunity you have to know God in an intimate way. Talking a lot about the economy right now and there's a lot of fear going around and rightfully so. I'm praying for people in our church. I'm praying for leaders and just praying for the months and years to come. It's going to be an interesting time on planet earth to say the least. But did you know God has an economy? You know, he has like a way of doing things and little formulas about how things run do you know one of those things that you see over and over and over again in the scriptures but especially on palm sunday is this in god's economy wrecked plans equal fierce love wrecked plans equal fierce love meaning every time god wrecks the plan of someone he loves it's not an act of violence against what they thought they wanted it's an act of love to give them what they ultimately need more than anything which is the presence of their heavenly father so what i want you to do is i want you to shift what your focus is on you're focused on from i got all these expectations and i want to see how god measures up to what i have in mind to My only expectation for what I want most is the presence of Jesus on the journey. i got to tell you this. With Jesus and the disciples, the point of all of that wasn't for Jesus to be raised from the dead and go, I did it. Wasn't that awesome? This was what it was all about. I believe for the disciples it was an entire journey of growing in their trust in him that culminated in a moment that went You're worthy, you're faithful, you're amazing. But the whole journey was about more and more surrender. And you'll surrender more and more to Jesus the closer you get to who he is. And if you allow him to wreck your plans with his fierce love, there's a burial to baptism. And that burial will include your expectations. Nobody tells you this when you get baptized. It's like your sins are gone, raised to new life, going to heaven. Here's the thing just as Jesus went into the grave and buried sin and death and hell forever. You know what else was in that tomb? Your version of your life. Easter Sunday morning, the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. Why do you look for life in the story of your life that you had in mind? You can find it in a loving heavenly father. It won't be absent of pain. It won't be easy. In fact, it'll be extremely difficult, but it'll be worth it, and God will be faithful. So here's what I want to do in this moment. I want to invite us as a church into the presence of Jesus. This is so much more about a journey with him than it is about a destination. Please, can we make COVID-19 so much more about being with Jesus in the here and now than we make it about when is this going to be over and when is this all going to make sense? Just draw near to him and remember who he is. And we're going to sing a song that literally over and over and over again says, God, this is who you are. Because more than God wants to communicate to the world what he can do during this season, he wants to communicate who he is. Father, promise keeper, miracle worker, risen from the dead, Lord and Savior. His name is Jesus. So with the cross in view on Easter Sunday, but also with the cross in view on Palm Sunday, let's be a church that revels in the presence of God this Easter season. It's different, I know it's not what we expected. We expected to be baptizing people right now. Let's just go with them on it. Can we trust him? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes right where you are? Would you just bow your heads? I want to pray for those of you who are struggling in this moment. To see meaning in the suffering. And I want to pray for those of you in this moment who have never trusted Jesus with your life. If you're struggling in this moment to find any sort of meaning to what you're going through, I want you to know God hears you. You're not alone. I want you to know your father is so for you. He sent Jesus. And if you're in this moment and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, what better time? I can't imagine a better testimony than I got awakened by a global pandemic to the reason why I'm alive. God, raised me from the dead. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of those in this moment who know they have a step to take. God, I believe every single one of us has a step to take. Even those of you who, who know you, God, we got a step of surrender, God. But I want to start with those who, who need to invite you into their life for the very first time. We heard of a, a, a couple living up in Alaska through the service last week who just said, Jesus, I give you my life. That's amazing. Got their first Bible this week. Oh God, I just want to invite those in this moment who have never given their life over to you to trust you to let you raise them from the dead and put a new heart on the inside of them. If that's you in this moment, would you just pray this simple prayer? Pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. You'll never be the same. If you just prayed that prayer, you have entered into a relationship with your heavenly Father. You've been united with Jesus and we want to celebrate with you on the other side of that if you do know Jesus but this whole message was a reminder of how much you're holding on to the plan and the cross on Palm Sunday is the ultimate reminder for you today that God's got something so much better God's got something so much more I just want to invite you right where you are to just open your hands toward heaven as a symbol of how open you are to the presence of God Heavenly Father I pray for those who are desperately in need of just handing over things to you that they've been holding on to. God, I know for wives and moms and husbands and dads and sons and daughters, there's all kinds of different families that have been so drastically impacted by what's happening across our world. I pray that they would trust you to be God, that you're a good father, that you're holding this story and that you don't want to just meet their expectations. God, even though you'll disappoint them in the short run sometimes, you want to exceed them with your glory. Invite us into that, God. Invite us into your presence. We surrender right now. Heavenly Father, we give this moment to you. We ask that as we sing, heaven would collide with living rooms and TV screens and computer screens and iPhone screens across the world. We trust you to do it, Holy Spirit. Lift our eyes to heaven and remind us once again that your way is better. You're a way maker. Make a way once again. But first of all, make a way for us to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. And in Jesus' name we sing. Amen. Church family, would you stand up and sing with us?